0: So, um, today we are finishing a series. We're finishing a series called Empowered to Participate. Uh, shout out, by the way, to uh, my, my New Testament professor, Mike Gorman from St. Mary's, who, who that, that word, it might seem like something that we kind of go past, this word participate, but Mike Gorman actually spent his entire career focusing in on that principle that what the church is called to do is to participate. Uh, in the work that God is doing. The fundamental claim in this series is that God does not want us to be a spectator. He doesn't simply desire that we come to church, read our Bibles and pray for the state of the world. He does indeed want us to do those things, but the book of Acts, which we what we've been studying these past 10 weeks, encourages us to live a life of so much more. The book of Acts shows us that we are invited not just to believe, but to participate in, and here's a heavy term, the transformative mission of God. I know that, that, that is a heavy term. What do I mean by that? It means that as Jesus followers, followers of the way, Christians, we don't just believe the gospel. In a sense, we become the gospel for this world. We are to be so saturated and influenced, struck, ruined for the gospel, that whatever we were before is now dead compared to the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. See, we don't just believe the gospel, we live it. We live it for the sake of ourselves, for each other, and for the sake of this broken world. So, we're going to take communion in a few minutes and I think anytime we do communion, it's good for us to remind ourselves what is this gospel that we proclaim. What is the gospel if if if, if Jesus told his disciples you're going to be my witnesses Uh, Then you're going to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. What is this gospel that we proclaim? Here's, Here's my favorite definition of the gospel. The gospel is the royal announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus, who died for our sins and rose according to the Scriptures, has been enthroned as the true Lord of the world. When this gospel is preached, God calls people to salvation out of sheer grace, leading them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. That's the message that we've seen Peter and Paul and others deliver to the Greco-Roman world in the book of Acts. As we saw in week one of the series, Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power when the power of the Holy Spirit, no less, that they, would, that they would be his disciples, they would receive that power and they would be his witnesses first in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, but ultimately to the ends of the earth. Just like God's spirit breathed life into creation in the book of Genesis, God's spirit now in light of the cross and the empty tomb breathes life into the new creation. Those of us empowered to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, God, our God, Israel's God, is about the business of cosmic reconciliation. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're called to get on with that work here in Catonsville and in Baltimore and beyond. You might be thinking... Well, man, that sounds pretty heavy. I just wanted to come to church, you know? Didn't really want to get in, like, the, the business of cosmic reconciliation and all that. Uh, I get it. The reason I'm up here, though, the reason why I've dedicated my work to the, to the life of the church, uh, dedicated my life to the work of the church, is because I believe that we are called, you and I are called, to more than just religion, more than just a club, even more than just a family. We are a part of a movement of Jesus followers that began 2,000 years ago when Jesus uh, told some fishermen, follow me. And if we're going to do this like every Sunday, we might as well be all in, right? In the middle of the book of Acts, we see something of a coming of age in in the life of the apostle Paul. By participating in the mission of God, Paul was being transformed into the man that would one day write the book of Romans, but he's not quite there yet. He had been a persecutor of the church at first after this blinding experience on the road to Damascus. He not only joined the ranks of the Jesus movement, but he's also been instrumental in God's plan to bring the gospel to the world of the Gentiles, non-Jewish folks. So if you turn with me to to Acts 17, there we're going to see Paul take advantage of an opportunity to bring the gospel to what we might say is the epicenter of philosophy in the ancient world. If Rome was the epicenter of politics and power, Athens could be thought of as the epicenter of philosophy. The city of Athens was synonymous with the likes of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, the great intellectual capital of the ancient world. So, so what would it look like to, if the gospel went there? Paul had been stirring up the pot as he and others have been working throughout the Mediterranean, and now he found himself in Athens. And he's waiting for Silas and, and Timothy, a few of his friends, and he's waiting in Athens, he's got some time, and the thing that Paul noticed about the city of Athens, was that it was ripe with idolatry. Literally, uh, idols, statues, uh, other artwork, uh, honoring deities, what, what Paul knew to be false gods. If you were interested in religion, Athens was the place to be. The problem, other than that, you were wor- other than that they were worshiping false gods, was, was what these gods were offering though. You get hints of this in in movies like Clash of the Titans or even like the Percy Jackson series. The actions of the gods seem to fall more under the category of shenanigans than holiness. You know, worship these gods, play by their rules, or or better yet, play their games, and, and your body and the bodies of others just become like a toy for their amusement. I mean, walk around a museum or look at a history book, and you're going to see examples of this all over the place in the ancient world. There was something childish about the polytheistic worship of the ancient world. Like the faith, it never really got out of adolescence. Paul, of course, though, was a devout Jew, and he knew better than that. Human beings, to, to Paul, to, to the Jewish faith, human beings weren't just objects to be used by the futility of the gods. Human beings were created in the image and likeness of the living God, and their worth, the, the worth of a human being, is found in their relationship with God, not their participation and, and their participation in his eternal story, not in religious games or worshipping statues that were very much not eternal. So there, Paul is in Athens, right? And the first thing he does is he actually goes to the synagogue because, like we said, he was a devout Jew. But then he also, being in Athens, he he starts attracting attention from philosophers. So Luke mentions in in the text, chapter 17, uh, Acts 17, Luke mentions two types of philosophers that speak with Paul. The, The first is the Epicureans. Now, the Epicureans basically believed that the world of the gods were very far away from this world, and there was little or no communication between those worlds. So the Epicureans believed that the best way to live is to just live the quiet life. They thought that, that a simple life, a full of friends and kind of philosophical discourse was the highest pleasure that one could attend, attain. And you can imagine, if Paul was speaking with them about the growing family of the church— the growing family of Jesus followers who are known for having meals together and and talking about the things that mattered most in this world, that that might have been appealing to an Epicurean. The other group of people, the other group of philosophers that that was attracted to Paul, were the Stoics, who believed that this world was actually saturated in the divine and that within every human being there was this divine force, The forest surrounds us, penetrates us. It binds the universe together. It can be discovered. It maybe even can be harnessed for your benefit, but it certainly wasn't personal. So again, if Paul was speaking about the Holy Spirit, uh, of the living God empowering his people to live abundant lives, you could see how also that might be appealing to the Stoics. But there still was a lot of confusion about, well, what exactly are we saying, Paul? So Luke tells us in verse 18 that Paul had been speaking with folks from from both of these crowds and probably others, and they weren't going to just swallow all of this wholesale. Some of the people just think he's like off his rocker. And they say, you know, what is this babbler saying? The word babbler was a a term of contempt. It it could literally be translated, it's like a a very visual word. It could literally be translated word scatterer. Like Paul was a bird, who had haphazardly picked up some interesting ideas and started dropping them um, on his way back to the nest. Uh, Others were confused um, by the word resurrection that, you know, Paul was preaching the gospel, so the word resurrection came up pretty often. The word for resurrection was the word anastasis, which they thought might have been the name of like Jesus's co-goddess or something like that. Things hadn't gotten off to a great start. They accused Paul of preaching foreign divinities, and, and incidentally, just you know, as a side note, uh, the, the the preaching of foreign divinities was exactly the thing that Socrates uh, had been brought to trial on. And so now, they're going to put Paul on trial. There's a lot of things being said, a lot of ideas being thrown lot, thrown around, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what-have-yous, and they want to give Paul an opportunity to make himself known. They take him then to the high court to the Areopagus, the hill of Ares, or in the the world of Rome, Mars Hill. A hill which would have overseen the Athens marketplace, and in the distance you would have seen the Acropolis and the Parthenon monuments dedicated to the way of the Greeks. So Mars Hill, on Mars Hill, Luke tells us, verse 21, that that what Athenians would do and others, they would just spend their days hearing about whatever the, the latest thing was. And and now this new thing was, was the Apostle Paul and this, this Jesus that he keeps talking about. And they want to hear more about what Paul has to say. They, they want him to explain them, explain himself and, and, and explain to us this, this God-man Jesus that you've been talking about, Paul. I hope this is all familiar to us, though, by the way. I mean, th- this is a story of something that happened in the middle of the first century A.D., but it's still happening today. All you got to do is spend a few minutes on social media, and you're, what are you going to see? You're going to see competing philosophies. You're going to see opportunities to pursue false gods, and you're going to see a whole lot of people who are just looking for the next big thing. One of the most popular shows right now, actually, is, is, is literally a show about a god of mischief, right? Our, our god calls us to live a childlike faith, but that's very different than a childish faith. A childlike faith lives life with eyes wide open to all and wonder and, to, and looks to our heavenly Father to, to further transform us into the people that we were created to be in the first place. But a childish faith worships false gods, false gods like biting political rhetoric and a cancel culture that seems to move the goalposts every few years So maybe there is something in what Paul says here in his speech. There's something for us in what Paul has to say to the crowd. The crowd says to him, we want to know what these things that you're saying, we want to know what it all means, Paul. And So there's Paul, the Apostle Paul, this man who had persecuted the church a few years prior. He opens his mouth and he begins to speak to the people of Athens. This is verse 22. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way, you are very religious. You know, as I passed along and observed the objects that you worship, I I found an altar. I found an altar with this inscription. It said, to the unknown God. You know, what you therefore worship as unknown I want to talk to you about today, I want to proclaim that God to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. This God, Israel's God, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to mankind, right, life and breath and everything. And he made from from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually, turns out, not very far from any of us. For in him we live. In him, we, I mean, think how powerful it was that Paul used the word we there, right? In him, we, you you Gentiles, you Greco-Romans, in him, in, in, in this God that I proclaim to you, this unknown God, in him, we all live and move and have our being. You know, even one of your own poets, some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his Offspring. We're all God's children. Being then God's children, we ought not to think of the divine being as like gold or silver and stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of a man. No, God's alive. The times of, of ignorance, God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will come again. To this world in righteousness and judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's what I mean by the resurrection. When he finished, some continued to laugh and some just mocked him because that happens sometimes when you preach the gospel. It happens a lot. Others, though, they wanted to hear more. Most likely, Paul said much more than, than what Luke records here in Acts, but, but this is the heart of the matter, right? It's, it's a far more nuanced, it's a far more mature speech than the one that we saw him give last week in Lystra. Those, these words have mattered so much to the ages that this, actually the speech's text, the words that Paul just said, um, are now engraved on a bronze plaque that could be used, uh, that could be viewed today by visitors to the Areopagus. So here are just a few observations on what Paul had to say to them that day on Mars Hill. First, I think it's clear that Paul wanted to find some sort of common ground with them. He wanted to find common ground with his audience. He opens his speech not by declaring that all of those idols were false gods and they need to repent immediately of their wickedness. We'll get to that. But no, he begins his speech by affirming their culture. He tells them that touring the city, it was his perception that they were indeed quite religious. See, they acknowledged that there was more to life than meets the eye. Knowing what we know about the Apostle Paul, I actually believe that this was more than just some self-serving move to keep them from stoning him. Paul believed that he had an answer to the questions that the people of Athens had been wrestling with for centuries. Again, Paul was a devout Jew, so the sight of all these false idols might have made him sick to his stomach, but he swallowed his pride and he ministered to their search. He honored their journey. He even used their journey to point to God. He doesn't just point to these idols and he say, run away. No, he, he actually passes along them. He observes them. He reads the words engraved near them, and he calls the people's attention to an example of their own culture and begins sharing from that position. In a sense, he, he meets them where they were. He doesn't just start quoting the Bible at them and get angry when they don't understand the book of Isaiah. No, he he draws their attention to one of their own altars when they, with an inscription, inscription written by one of their own people. And this inscription read, to the unknown God. Evidently, these people were so thorough, they were so religious that they wanted to cover their bases. But Paul says, you know what, guys? It's, it's, it's this unknown God, this God who's been unknown to you that, that today I want to make known to you. I want you to to be uh, to see him. I want you to I want him to be revealed to you. I want to get out of the way, and I want you to see and have a relationship with the living God. Later on, he even quotes one of their own poets and uses the quote to make the point about to make a point about who God is and who they were. Paul wanted them to know that he didn't just come into their town to incorporate some, like, foreign philosophy or religion into their pantheon of deities. No. Paul walks right into Athens, and then he shows them, he reveals to them the God who had been among them the whole time. Forgive me if I'm only speaking to the majority, but this is actually something that our tradition... Has attempted to lean into heavily over the past, specifically the past 50 years. When I say our tradition, I mean the tradition of non denominational, casual, contemporary, jeans wearing, guitar playing, community driven fellowship church. At least two mega churches of the early 20th or 21st century got their name from this passage and developed reputations for being a church to the unchurched we want to be a church for people who don't like going to church they'd say no apologies there I like wearing jeans to church I like that we we use the guitar rather than the organ I like that when our leaders meet one of the questions we ask ourselves is how could we be more hospitable to others how how could we be a more welcoming congregation to outsiders so that they don't actually feel like outsiders Um, When a person comes to our church for the first time, or for the 21st time, I hope that they feel welcomed. I hope that they feel valued. I hope that they know that this is a place where they can come as they are, a place where they can wrestle with doubt, a a place where you can bring your questions. I hope that you know that we are interested in meeting you where you are. I mean, that's why we've done Refresh for the past six weeks. Our bet is that after the past year, what people really need most right now, what we all need, is just time with each other. And we believe that the best connective tissue of doing life together is indeed the local church. What better reason do we have to get together and, and get into each other's lives than Jesus? Church should be sticky. That's gross. I don't mean like the seats should be sticky. But What I mean is that it should be a family, the sort of family that, that gathers around somebody's in, in trouble, the, the sort of family that everybody should be a part of, that all are welcomed into. So, so what we do is we, we meet people where they are, and then, at refresh, we you know offer them a cheeseburger and a moon bounce. And we say, "We're glad you came. You are welcome anytime." Of course, here's the thing. The good news of the gospel is that God does indeed meet us exactly where we are, but he has no intention to leave us there. He compels us uh, beyond step one, toward a life worth living, And, and he uses his church, he uses us, he uses the we, he uses your church, he uses churches just like New Hope Community Church to do just that. So, thing number one is that Paul, he finds common ground with his audience. Thing number two about his speech is he wanted to give them context for how to find themselves in the grand story of all things. Did you know that you are a part of God's story? This unknown God, this this one who 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 you didn't know a name for before, this one who made the world and everything in it, that's that's the unknown God, the one who made the world and everything in it. He he not only made the universe, he's Lord over the universe. And he does not live in in just temples or, or statues made by human hands. No, in reality, all things are held together by his sovereignty. The sun, the moon, The stars, the ocean, the mountains, cities, towns, the human intellect and artistic expression, all of it comes from this God, Yahweh, who carefully crafted a human being, carefully crafted all things and breathed life into them. You, you people of Athens, are part of that story. God knew that that people would scatter. The Hebrew Bible actually has a story about that called the Tower of Babel, which happens actually just before, if you read the whole Bible, it happens just before God calls the Hebrews to be his rescue mission. God knew that you were going to scatter, you people of Athens. He knew that you were going to search. He knew that you were going to seek. He knew that you were going to engage in philosophy and politics and war and empire and agriculture and civilization, myth and mystery, And not all of it was bad. In fact, Paul says, people scattered so that they should seek God. And perhaps, I love how Paul says this, perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And you know what? The the truth is that he never has been very far from any of us. I mean, have you ever felt like your way around a dark room? You know, you, you you kind of walk into this dark room, the lights are off, and you walk slowly, you know, feeling your way through the room, and you're you're pretty sure what things are, especially if it's your house, but these things are that you're stepping on and stepping around, you know, especially when you like stub your toe on the edge of that thing, and you're pretty sure that's a sofa, and oh, okay, that's a bed, and that's an end table, and and oh, I just stepped on the cat, and oh, that's a Lego, you know you're you're walking on edge because you don't want to cause damage to yourself or anything in the room, but then... You finally find the light switch. And suddenly now you have a whole new perspective of the room. All these things that seem so scary. Oh, that, that's where everything is. Suddenly things make sense. And so what happens is that we find out that God wasn't just the interior decorator of the universe. And he, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't just the, the maker of all things. He's even more than that. It turns out that, that it is actually by his light that we have perspective. It's by the light of God, the light that he provides is actually the things that gives us perspective on all things, things that God wants us to explore. And the thing is that now, people of Athens, in the fullness of time, God desires that you see all of it by his light. It's good that you wrestled through philosophy. It's good that you've been asking questions about the things that matter most in this world, but now God invites you to see all things by the light of his holiness, by the light in the context of his story. You might have experienced this yourself through music or, or reading a book or watching a movie. Something was said or, or, or something happened that stirred something inside of you that you really couldn't explain and you felt emotion that you've never really felt before. You felt excitement over something that happened. You began to wonder then about things like love and justice and adventure and purpose. And you begin to think that, that maybe there actually is more to this world than just temporary pleasure. The gospel proclaims that none of that, none of that, those feelings, those, that wrestling, none of that was a coincidence. That was God leading you towards Him as you sought Him out. He was seeking you out. And now God desires that He would be revealed to you, that you would see all of creation by His light, in His perspective, in His context. So the first thing Paul does is that he invites, he finds some common ground. And the second thing Paul does is he is invites them to see themselves in the grand story of all things. And, and the third thing Paul says is that he instructs them clearly, as he closes, he instructs them clearly on how to respond to this new revelation. He reminds them that, that hey, guys, you're God's offspring. Before now, you, you were ignorant to the details of this gospel and God will overlook that but 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 today today's a new day. Don't go one more day. Don't go one more day thinking that it's that it's all for nothing. Don't go one more day worshipping these false idols and their games. Don't go one more day believing that that this noise is what you were meant for. But see all of creation by the light of Jesus Christ, the light of resurrection the light of, of the story that tells us that we are destined for purpose and with a promise that God cares about us, that he wants more for us than just playing a, a silly game. Today is a new day. But if you're interested in following this Jesus, if you're interested in actually having a, not just a religion but a relationship with him, he commands all of us to repent. Now, that's a heavy word. Another heavy word. And we talked about before, repentance, it's, it's actually a directional word. It's saying that, that God wants us to walk in His direction. And what I love about that, that image is that as we're walking in the direction of God, we still have obstacles there's still things that are in our way so it makes sense that as we're walking in the direction of God that we would still continue to think about things like civilization things like philosophy how do we do the things we do all of that is still good it's still good for us to read it's still good for us to to devour Um, the the, the thoughts of each other. It's still good for us to debate. It's still good for us to disagree. It's still good for this this Jew plus Gentile family of God to to be united in our differences. That's okay, but but the, the point is that we're all together walking in God's direction.